Hello, and welcome to the Exploring Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Krim. And on this show, uh, it's our goal to really explore the ideas, the strategies, the companies that are really having a positive impact on healthcare. And I really define that in three ways. One, are we getting the correct care at the right time and at affordable cost? And um, so that's leading me to interview leaders within the healthcare space, founders, to really understand uh, the problems that they're going after trying to solve and the ideas and the, and the projects that are important to them. And on this episode, I interview Leon Wisniewski, who's the founder of Health Cost Labs, where he's been analyzing, at this point, over 3,000 hospital pricing uh, files. So we talk a lot about what he's finding there, and there's some really good insight. Um, but even before that, we talk a lot about his background at a, a major medical carrier and how his eyes were really open to uh, really the lack of transparency and incentive within the healthcare space to really share and really understand a lot of the data, you know, data that would help physicians, would help uh, patients, and would help insurers as well. So again, I found the conversation very insightful, and I hope you'll sit back and enjoy it as well. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Leo, thanks for uh, joining the show. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, I've uh, really been looking forward to this uh, conversation, and, uh, and, dive, and we'll go ahead and dive in here. But I thought we would start with... Uh, can you walk us through your background and your skill set? Because I, I find it quite unique. And I understand it, you may have started as a programmer. It, 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 that is true. I, I got sucked up into Y2K nonsense out of college. because We were going to save the world from the stupid digits on the end of the date, Yeah, which never materialized. But um, that's where I learned you know, my exposure into coding and working with data. But then, you know... Um, I got frustrated working as a programmer and I wanted to grow in the business community. So I changed careers and become an actual an, an actuary. So I moved over into the Blue Cross and I took advantage of their tuition reimbursement. And I went to classes for actual science. I took a few exams, but my wife had twins along the way and my hours for studying stopped. So within Blue Cross, there's really no professional growth without the exams. You need to be all or nothing. There's really no middle ground. Um, so I ended up in the contracting department within Blue Cross, which is where I learned how to use, how to make fee schedules and how the money flows through healthcare, through the fee schedules. And, and, and contracting is very hard. Making fee schedules is very, very hard. There's, there's exceptions and carve outs. And for two years, you're just trying to be accurate with your work. But what I found after when I got good at the job in years three and four, what I noticed was there was code shifting in the claims data. What I mean by that is that if you took the fee schedule down 5% for a doctor or a hospital, they would respond by billing 5% more expensive units on claims to offset their loss on the rate per unit. So there was nothing being saved. It was just cost shifting. And so as I, it was fascinating to me, this, this story that I just tripped over. And so I created these, these benchmark reports, which I, um, which I brought to, to the attention of management to, to show them that, hey, you know, this isn't working the way you think it's working. And that was, they didn't like that at all. I thought I was doing a good thing by, you know, raising an, an issue that might help the company. But, but it, it undermined their narrative 
that they're controlling costs when really their abrasion to the hospitals and doctors is only raising costs. And so what they did was they, they, they moved me to the fraud division to help them, you know, fight the, the bad billers. And so I went up there very excited to, to use the data in, in a population health manner to educate and inform to, to lower cost. You know, uh -huh. we don't need a prosecution to control healthcare costs. We just need to share the data and make people more, uh, more intelligent about better decision-making. And that's, that's a more positive way to, to um, address our healthcare cost. But what, when I went up there, that didn't happen. The, 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 they did not want to use the data in a population health manner. They wanted the abrasion. They wanted the recoveries, the clawbacks, hmm. because that's how they are measured. So that's, and you, you, every year they have to meet a goal, 200 million, 250 million of recoveries. That mean, that's a clawback. And, and one of the, the managers in the fraud division asked me in a town hall, he says, how do we get our recoveries if doctors stop billing bad? And it was just such a, a Neanderthal thinking of a bigger problem here. You're, you're so focused on their own little goals when I get my bonus, but they're not looking at the harm their work is causing. And, and it really caused me great uh, spiritual distress that I was in this messed up environment that nobody wanted to seek the truth. They wanted to keep their head down, do their thing and, and retire and get their bonus and let somebody else deal with the mess. Uh, but it, it really caused me moral, moral stress because it was a lie. Um, so that's kind of where I saw my light that there's truth in the data, the data talks. We don't need abrasion to control healthcare costs. We need data sharing, data fluidity, and, and help people make, inform people of, of better decision-making. And then that was, and once you see the truth, you can't stop. You can't unsee what you know is to be false. Um, so, so I left Blue Cross and I joined a population health company where I make benchmarks, which is more aligned with, um, my, my, my thinking, and I'm happy here, but um, it's not, the, the laws changed this year where the hospitals have to publish their negotiated rates, which is right up my wheelhouse. You know, uh -huh. I know fee schedules, like this is, this is for me. Um, so last summer, when the district judge ruled that the hospitals must publish their rates, I went to my boss and my CEO, and I said, hey guys, I wanna start my own company download these files, clean them up, build a database, and sell the data. Is this a conflict of interest? You know, you're in healthcare. Everything's a conflict of interest. Right. So, so they, they, they said, no, I, I don't see where is any kind of conflict with what we're doing. So, you know, go for it. And so January 1st, I went headfirst into these files to downloading them, cleaning them up, and, and bringing visibility into the data so people can make um, informed decisions. And that's, that's health cost labs right there. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing all that. that there's a lot that we could um, unpack there. And, uh, and, I, and I definitely want to talk some about health cost labs. So I think it's fascinating what, what, you're, what you're building and what you're doing there. I'd, I'd like to 
you know, talk through some of the things that you're finding as you dig through this pricing information. But I want to go back to the the data piece because I think that's just so fascinating. Um, and if I hear what you're saying, there, it sounds like we're not within healthcare. We're still not sharing the data. We're, we're there's still not a real no. strong incentive to use the data and understand what it's telling us and, and correct behavior, especially on the that's hundred percent. So, yes. So the, it, it is. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. So what? What? what um, what do you think is causing that? What are the what are the barriers to the data being shared more and that being used to? That's a great question. And and really, the real answer is ethics, because if people didn't put their own self interest in front of somebody else, there would be data fluidity. But the problem with the managed the problem is the data custodians, who who are the insurance companies, the data custodians, they their whole purpose is to control cost. That's why they exist. But the data is showing that their approach isn't controlling cost. It's only mm. it's, it's making costs go higher. So when you request the data from the insurance companies to use it in, in say, a population health manner, they'll say to you, well, um, you can have the data, but you can't use it in that capacity. And this is what we call a data use agreement or a DUA for short. And it, it's these restrictions that are put onto the data so that you can only use it within their, with their, with their permission. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to give you permission to undermine their narrative. So one of the things, you know, I, I say all the time, healthcare needs um, a federal data warehouse of de-identified claims that's free from restrictions hmm. so that anybody can procure it to do their own innovation or whatever the heck they want, machine learning, whatever you want to do, you should be allowed to do that without somebody else telling you, don't do that because that might hurt me. And as long as we have that, that, that force that hanging over the data on how it cannot be used, we are never going to transform healthcare. But, but, um, but now we have these hospital files, which isn't the claims data. Um, that's, that's really important for clinical overutilization and misdiagnosis, and, and that's really valuable there. But with the hospital data, you can certainly see low, lower cost carriers. You know, is Blue Cross here, cheaper here, or Cigna there? There's so much money. There's, there's freight trains of money that are over the lowest amount a hospital will accept as payment in full. So pick a, a baby deliver in Atlanta. Um, I can't think of a hospital name. Hospital A in Atlanta. Let's say they accept you know, $1,200 for a baby delivery. Well, that's their payment in full. But they'll also re get reimbursed $9,000 for the same baby delivery. Mm -hmm. So there's um, $7,800 in gravy that is being consumed by the middleman because it's it's more than a hospital needs to be paid in full. So there's just, just, just tremendous um, over uh, um, cost, um, tremendous money that's being wasted by not using the carrier with the lowest unit cost. And so I, you see me on LinkedIn, I say, just move to the carrier with the lowest unit cost. Start there 
and then and then you can address the overutilization and misdiagnosis. But there, that is such an easy thing to do. And there's no DUA on these hospital files because it's a free download. So this is a really simple thing to do. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of the posts that you've put out and some others have, and it, and it truly is eye-opening how wide of a variation there is in the cost, um, with the only difference being what insurance card you pull out of your out of your wallet or out of your purse, right? <laughs> That's all so, it is. It's, it's so stupid. I want to go back. You mentioned one central database um, where uh, medical claims could be housed and people could use it. Um, mm -hmm. How how would we go about doing that? Who who uh, who would well, yeah, set that so, up and manage that? And yeah, this is a great question. So so and I the, so last year I think it takes an act of Congress because there was a congressman from Virginia late December of 2020 who proposed a federal data warehouse to identify claims. Now what I'm learning and is that. Um, as soon as the um, a, a Congress session ends, any bill that's not signed off dies too. Hmm. So I don't know why he proposed this legislation, you know, two weeks before the session ended, and the bill was going to die anyway. Hmm. Um, but it, it's going to require, um, I think, federal legis federal legislation. But the problem is that um, there's so many companies who the data custodians who were going to lose when they give up the data and so we see that optum wanted to buy change healthcare for 13 billion but the ama is stepping in and saying hey ftc um you know this um i forget the right this is anti-competitive mm -hmm. because they're 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 threatened by data supremacy um and so they don't want optum buying change healthcare for that reason and it's really unfortunate because nobody should be disadvantaged by being by being by have not having the right information. It's such a it's such a terrible, you know, Neanderthal way of thinking that I have to disadvantage you to get my money. That that's terrible. So I say there should be a a central data warehouse that's free to all. So that you can all procure the data, do your own analytics, and make the best decisions for yourself. Hmm. So, I don't know where we'll get there, but I mean that's what's needed. One of the things that I've seen, and this has more to do with uh, electronic health records, but I've seen um, a company called MedRec. Uh, it's they're out of MIT. I believe it was some MIT graduate students or PhDs, PhD students that started this, but. I've seen they're, they're doing some pretty interesting things with the blockchain um, and allowing users to uh, keep their personal medical history and patient charts and all that on the blockchain. And then you have some cryptography there and some security and, and ability to release that to certain parties that need it. And one of the things that I've seen that they're incentivizing healthcare providers to use this and actually put the data on there is that they would get access to the aggregate data to be able to run. Have you seen, right. is that, what do you think about that concept? And, and have, have you seen any others like trying to do that? Uh, even well, on I, it, 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 it's, a, it's the right idea. But when I was at Blue Cross, I worked um, briefly on an EHR project where we were going to source in the electronic health records from the hospitals. And they, we had built this massive 
uh, database to receive the information from the EHR data. But what we found was they were not sending the information. So they, like you would open up the, ta the table, you open the table and the rows are blank. So there's like nothing here. All you would see was like hair color or eye color. There was no biometric data in there or any other kind of clinical information because they, the doctors know that once they cough up the EHR, the insurance company can look at the way they build that claim for that condition. Say, hey, this was a boo-boo and you coded it as a 99215, the most expensive code you know, for that treatment. And, and they, they can see that's false. So the doctors, they're not dumb, they know this. So they know that once they give up the clinical information, it opens them up to you know, accuracy on the way the claim is billed. And that's a whole new can of worms that just got opened because now you can cross-reference the EHR with the claims data and, and that's its own, you know, holy, holy war right there. Man. So, they, so they won't send it. That makes but, sense. That makes sense. I mean, it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't make sense. But, no, no, you're yeah. right. It doesn't make sense. But it's like you know, the problem isn't that do we have the right technology or the right ideas to use the data. It's that the data custodians aren't giving it up because it undermines their narrative. Right. And Which so once again, once again, when we think about like insurance carriers, uh, I'm sorry. When when we think, yeah, insurance carriers. Um, when we think about. Are they actually lowering the, the cost through their uh, their network contracts that they say they are? Um, the doctors are they really performing um, right uh, the the procedures and billing things correctly uh, according to the standards. And then you then you get into the healthcare providers. Uh, look at the data. Are, are, does it make any sense why we're billing you know one person this for the same procedures? Nobody's do, uh, nobody's doing that because because it opens them up to a counterattack. Right. Um, so. I just feel that, you know, the federal government needs to come in and say, I'm taking this. This is for the greater good. I don't know if you can use your eminent domain powers to do it, but you cannot ask somebody who is, I don't, maybe being deceitful is too wrong of a word, but who isn't being on par with how their, their work product is to voluntarily give up information that's going to undermine them. Right. It, it'll never happen. It's got to be taken away from them involuntarily. Well, there's, um, you know, through a lot through my study and, and research, there's just and and it's it's no secret now, but they're just, and I struggle sometimes to understand it, but there's just a lack of of transparency within the healthcare industry that it seems like it's been there a long time. Um, y yes, and, and and like what we have now is that we've have we have businesses multi million dollar industries and businesses built off of a lie you know like you look at the big brokers you know the somebody uses said this to me a little while ago and i'm going to reuse it here where you know the the brokers receive bonuses to steer consumer pay, uh, members to the employer but then those those bonuses became a noose and now the the Brokers are are hostage to their revenue to keep the status quo. Um, so so that's a lie. 
the only reason they can do that was because their workforce was not aware of lower cost alternatives. Well, now they are, and I'm putting it out there, and I don't care who I piss off, you have it coming. And, and so that's why I post these heat maps on LinkedIn, and I'm just, I'm letting the data talk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're doing incredible work, and, and like I said, it's truly been eye-opening, and, and, you, and you're right. Um, the brokerage and the consultant community, not all, but, but many as well, have, have been you know, swept up in that. Uh, lack of transparency as, as well. Um, I, I keep thinking about a quote as we talk about this, and I actually posted it. Uh, that I just uh, posted out on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago, but I, I love the quote by Upton Sinclair. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on not understanding it. And uh, yep, I, I was, I, that's I, run, it. I think about that so much when we talk about, you know, these issues and, and possibly. Um, right. And so, for them. And so the reason why they can remain ignorant to the truth is because their audience doesn't know the truth. Yeah. They don't have the data. And once the data is out there, you know, they're exposed and now they, they got to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so, so the hospital rates is but one component in medical cost, which I, I am standing up. Um, and then next year, the, the carriers had to publish fee schedules so for the hospitals who are not compliant, I'm still going to get their fee schedules from the carriers mm. because it's in there too. It's the same, same answer. Um, but that's, that's rate per unit, which is very important. But then there's also the, the, the claims data, which speaks to the overutilization, misdiagnosis, and the billing abuse. And, that, and there's a whole payment integrity industry who's going to go away because nobody needs them anymore when people stop billing bad. Mm. And they don't want to hear that, but I don't care. <laughs> you've mentioned, you've, you've mentioned uh, cost per unit several times. Yes, yes. Can you, can you explain what that is and why that's important when thinking about? Sure. So, so when we look at a fee schedule, um, there's like 15, you know, 16,000 codes in a fee schedule. And, and that is fee for service. So a doctor or the, the billing manager hospital, they'll get reimbursed when they submit that unit. So 99212 is a unit. 91213 is a union, is a unit. Um, and so because of there was no this um, transparency into the contracts, you'll have Blue Cross getting paid, you know, making this up, you know, 120 for 99213 to the same doctor. And Cigna will pay $250 to the same doctor for billing 99213, the rate mm -hmm. per unit. So when I say the rate per unit, I'm, I'm speaking of the, the variance between payers for the same code. Gotcha, okay. Thank you for clearing that up. That, that's, that, that explains that. Um, yeah, so we mentioned the uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, they had some requirements going to affect January 1st of this year for hospitals that they had to start providing um, Right. There, there were some price transparency requirements. Can you walk us through what the requirements were and sure. uh, how that rollout is going? Sure. So the requirement was show your negotiated rates for everybody you have a contract with, the cash rates, um, the set, a list of 70 shoppable codes, such as your colonoscopies, your knee surgeries, your baby deliveries, mm -hmm. and then the other 230 codes are supposed to be the hospital's most utilized codes 
Okay, so if a hospital is, is very specific to, to spinal surgeries, they must put the spinal surgery um, in this data. But if another hospital um, does uh, cataract surgeries and not spines, they should put the cataract surgeries in this file. So, so that makes up to 300 shoppable services. Um, so what I found was that, you know, in the first 60 days, there was only, a, as I went through these websites, there was only around like a 30% compliance rate that the files were not there for, for most of the hospitals. Hmm. But somewhere around, you know, May, the first two weeks of June, a bunch of hospitals complied and published their files. So I don't know why they didn't do it January 1st, but they did it by June 15th. And there's, there's many more files available to be downloaded. And even, you know, I think I, think I saw a September 1st, I'm, I'm seeing more files out there that were not there before. So I'm guessing September 1st, they said, okay, we got to, we had to post. Uh-huh. Um, so right now, and, and I, I use the word compliance loosely. I think there's around, you know, 62, 63% of the hospitals have a file that's out there on the internet. Now, whether it includes every plan, does it include the cash rates, does it include the codes are supposed to include, I don't know. So maybe, you know, if somebody can do a deeper analytic on these, these, these check boxes of compliance, we may say, you're only 5% compliant, but, but around 62, 63% of the hospitals have a file to download with some information on there. Okay. And so that's what I, that's what I've retrieved. Okay. And walk, I'm curious, walk me through your, uh, your process with that. Are you using, um, how are you going and analyzing those files? Are you using Python or? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so as I mentioned in the top of the show, I used to be a programmer. Because um, those are, are in JSON format, right? Well, the, yep, there was JSON, XML, and CSV. Okay. Um, and some are in text. So what I what I found in the in the first two three weeks in January was that when I would open the file, um, the data was presented in different ways. You know, some hospitals presented their data in pattern one, some did it in pattern two. And what I found was there was around eight different patterns of a way the hospitals are presenting their information. So what I did was I wrote like a Visual Basic program in Excel and Microsoft Access mm-hmm. to, to, um, to ingest the data and, and clean it up and make it into a, a, a nice database. And so then I, what I did was I engaged with a, a company in India who knows Python. I don't know Python. <laughs> and, and I gave them my code for Visual Basic. And I said, here, convert this to Python. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what it looks like. I never want to see it. I just want to make sure it's working. Mm-hmm. And so they would write their script and then they would give me a file and I would match it to my file. I'm like, yep, that matches. You did it right. And so when I download these files, I would say, oh, this file is pattern five. Use the program for pattern five. Mm. Oh, this file is pattern seven use the program for, for pattern seven and and that's pretty much what i did like like three thousand times hmm. because <laughs> you know there's um these files are one of these patterns 
and and we, that's what we did. And so, did the uh, sending it off to India and them running it through with Python? Did that, is that what helped you determine uh, what pattern it was following? No, I would I would open a file first, and if I I'm on point. I open okay. the files. I say I identify um, hospital A in Atlanta mm -hmm. has pattern two, and I would write down pattern two hospital A in Atlanta, and I would give it. I would, you know, we have a database of SQL servers in the cloud, which mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Not anybody in the world can touch the data, and so they would just, you know, re retrieve the file from the blob. We have a blob, whatever the hell that is. Uh -huh. where, where all these files are there's like there's like a there's like 3300 files in my blob right now of hospital files so uh -huh. they would go to the blob retrieve hospital a from elena apply their python script for pattern two extract gotcha. the data and load it into the server and then it ends up on my website for gotcha. anybody to read gotcha okay and as part of that process, were they were you then going in and doing the heat maps, or was that part of their process? They no, it's, would... it's, it's me. So yeah, okay. I would um, once the the data is cleaned up, yeah, then I could say, okay, hospital A, Atlanta, give me the baby codes, the um, DRG seven ninety five, and then I would just sort high to low the pair mix and I'd put a heat map on it, do a screenshot, boom, post it on LinkedIn, and that's what I do. Yeah. So you've said at this point you've done about over 3,000 of these? Yeah, we just passed 3,000 hospitals in our server, which is – I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Um, I was trying – when I launched July 4th, Independence Day for me. It was uh -huh. Independence, you know, independence from King George, independence from middlemen. That's the way I was – I felt about it. Uh -huh. I, wanted, I wanted to launch July 4th, and my goal was to have um, 2,200 hospitals at that point. And we had like 2250, um, maybe 2300 on July 4th. So I met my goal. But like, like I said, in the last two months, more and more hospitals have posted files. And now we're over 3000. So, you know, when I'm not working, um, well, we it's weekends, I'm always downloading these damn files and um, identifying them and hand them off to India. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed learning about that. I appreciate you sharing that process. Um, and so let's go. I mean, so let, let's go back as you're analyzing these files. Like, what are kind of the two three things that you're you're finding? I know we've touched on a little bit with the variants, but anything else you're seeing that's just really been eye opening? And you're like, hey, I, knew, well, I know what it's going to. Go ahead. The cash rate is not the highest. The cash rate is cheaper than the carriers negotiate rates. So it beckons the question, why am I paying a premium if I can get a better rate per unit without the carrier? Why not save my premium, my 2000 a month or 1800 bucks a month, and just pay the cheaper cash rate? It invalidates what, a car what an insurance company is when cash is cheaper than their rate. So that's – so, that, so I mean, so, so the payer mix, your plastic card – is certainly one eye opener, but the second eye opener is, you know, Cigna and the Blue Cross United, with all their power and their market share, isn't getting the best rate, cashes. So it, it says, what the hell are they doing if they're not getting the best rate? How do the cash prices compare to the the uh, Medicare rate? A lot of times it's near 100 percent, is or it's a little more than 100 percent. 
And in some hospitals, it may be you know near the highest, but for most hospitals, it's near the lowest, near the, near the Medicare rate. So it's it's fascinating. It's really going to change the industry, and I I'm I'm glad I can be a part of it. Yeah. How does uh, Health Cost Labs differ from like a Turquoise Health? Are you familiar with them? I am familiar with them, and it's a great question. And as as I look at like you know thirty thousand feet, our, our data is very similar. We both ingested the same files. We both cleaned them up. We both have the rate per unit per hospital. Um, but I feel that I, from what I sense, when I read, when I read their stuff on LinkedIn or their, their website, they're more oriented towards, you know, revenue, revenue cycle management and, and bundling of codes. You know, they're more, I could be wrong, but it looks like they're more oriented towards servicing, servicing the hospitals and helping them, you know, identify the, the good rate per unit. Or, or they want to bundle it. That's my, my, I could be wrong, but that's what I see. Now with, with me, um, you know, healthcare is, is a local industry. You know, it, 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 there's hospitals everywhere, but f- for me, there's like five hospitals around my house. So that is local to me. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done was I took, I took a page out of my edges business model where I am, I'm selling the data by states. So if you're a broker or a hospital or an insurance company in Atlanta, in Georgia, you could just buy your Georgia data, Georgia hospitals, and you're not, oh, you're not buying Massachusetts, you're not buying Michigan, you're not buying California because you know, it'll never impact you. So I, I, I designed my price point to be more local, whereas Turquoise is selling um, more of a national data set, and, and they sell, you know, like, you get so many searches per month based on how much you pay, which is really which is, which is neat. I, I think it's neat. Um, but I think we just have different audiences. I, I could be wrong, but I just I, I designed my 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 business model to sell my data at a very local at a local level, and they're selling there's more nationally. So we we're, we're servicing different clients. I, I feel. Gotcha. That makes that makes sense. I appreciate you talking through that. I, I can see the differences there. Um, how has the response been from the, I'm assuming probably your target market is the consultant and the brokerage community yep. employers. Um, how's the response been from the, well, thank you. So I, I made, you know, I, we had some sales coming in. I like more, but uh-huh. you know, it, it, it's going to, we launched in the summer. I don't think many people are paying attention in the summer. People are on vacation mode. That's a, know, that's a slower time for the benefits energy uh, uh, industry yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, you know, people, you know, they're coming out of the lockdown and the last thing they want to do is do more work. So they want to get out, get out on vacation, get away from the COVID world, which I don't blame them. Um, so, so I feel that, you know, the, the word of socializing health cost labs has the data files and I am seeing interest. You know, I'm getting questions about my data more and more every week so it's just a it's a slow moving thing sales is when you're a new company trying to introduce yourself to the market right um but it's getting there it's slow um but again you know i don't have much money invested in this startup um because i did a lot of work myself my partner too and our time is free Uh so we we didn't have an we don't have an investor 
behind us. We don't have earnings to earn, to meet. So we have a little more breathing room to in our runway to stand up our business. Yeah. So it, it's just going to take a little more time because it's, it's new data. People had to figure out how am I supposed to use this in my new, new business. But I had this call the other day with somebody. I got a little frustrated with the guy. He's like, yeah, but I'm not sure how to use it. Yeah, how am I supposed to use this? And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, if you don't figure out how to use it, you're going to get displaced. Because there's truth in the data and you need to change the way you're doing business and, and act on the data or somebody's going to use the data to act on you. So there is no room for people to hem and haul. What do I do with this? Because somebody else is going to come to displace them. There's urgency to use this data and act on it. I mean that. And that's how it's happening. It's, it's such a powerful message when you look at those heat maps and like we've said, and you see the variance in the procedure based on what insurance card you pull out or you see the, the cash price. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful message. It kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. And you yeah. really, you know, um, I find that I don't need to use many words in my post. Yeah. I'd have to like add like maybe 12 words and post a heat map and just let the data talk. Yeah. Let the, let the, let the heat map knock people over. I don't need to do that. Yeah. My words. Wanted to ask what, so, you know, we use the term, you're bootstrapping your business. Was that intentional? And, and where did that? Um... Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, like I said, um, well, from coming from Blue Cross, you know, once you see the truth, you can't unsee the truth. And, and you know, I never had, I don't have an investor. Mm-hmm. So the only, the way, only way I'm getting this thing off the ground is bootstrapping it. And so, you know, I'm just, um, I'm pulling every gadget out of my, my history bag of tricks to get this thing off the ground. And I got it off the ground, you know, yeah, creativity yeah. is the mother of invention. Uh, what's the, how's that phrase go on? Um, desperation is the, is the key to innovation, something like that. But okay. that's, it's very, it's very true. When yeah. you're desperate, you figure something out. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's another difference between between you and uh, Turquoise Health. I, I think they're backed by A16Z, so I, I think they've got some pretty uh, big profile um, investors there. But um, I tend to like the the bootstrap approach well, myself thank you. for sure. So um, you mentioned very early on that uh, you know you started in the program and then you decided you want to get more on the business side. What what drew you to want to be more on the business side of things? Yeah, this is a great question. So um, so when I started programming. You know, out of college, like any college, any newbie, they don't know the business. They don't know the business. And so one of my coworkers, his name was Tom. He used to be an underwriter. He, w- he was older. He was um, 20 years into his career. Mm-hmm. And he used to be an underwriter who switched to become a programmer. And what happened was that at this, co- this reinsurance company that he could receive requests from the business users and fill in the blanks on what was not in the request to give them what they wanted. Because he said, oh, I know what you, they may not say what they wanted, but he could read enough of what they said to know what they wanted. And he could just get the data. Here's what you asked for. And uh-huh. they all thanks. Where I couldn't do that. I didn't know if you didn't tell me what you wanted, I couldn't fill in the blanks to get you what you wanted. And there's a lot of, you know, I was getting beat up because I wasn't like Tom. 
because you know I'm being compared to him. Maybe that wasn't fair, but that's how the world works. You got to get your stuff done, and, and people don't have time for mistakes and and working with IT departments and programmers. They don't have time for that. And so after you know five six years of just not being Tom, getting beat up, I'm like, you know what? I give up. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and join the um the business field. But little did I know that in during this project of Health Cost Labs, I would be pulling stuff out of the bag I haven't seen in 20 years. <laughs> but it's working. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the story behind my uh, my switch. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I, I I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, a lot of you know studying on. Um, this kind of concept of like, where does, where do original ideas come from? Where does creativity come from? And, you know, maybe general uh, being more of a generalist versus specialist. And it, mm -hmm. amazing things happen when you kind of have, when you compare into both wor worlds. And, and for this example, when you compare into the technical side, the programming side and the business side, some beautiful things happen. Yeah. I tell you, I would not be doing what I did if I didn't change careers because I would never end up making fee schedules if I didn't change careers and if I didn't make fee schedules, I wouldn't know how to unpack these hospital files. Right. And, and the same breath that if I didn't make fee schedules, if I never did programming, I couldn't clean up these files because I wouldn't know how to unpack the mess. Right. So you need that diversity. You need career changing is a really great thing for people to just to get a different perspective on how things work and you bring more your experience is broader now because you have more skills in your toolbox and if you don't change careers right that's a great point that's a that's a really good takeaway all right i wanted to ask you um you, you just went to q4 live i'm not too familiar with that conference but I, I see some of the people that go and and it strikes me as a group of people that are uh, very innovative um they've kind of peered behind the curtain curtain of, of yeah. some of these things that we've been talking about in healthcare and they want to do something about it and they are doing something about it. So what was your biggest takeaway from that conference? Well, my biggest takeaway was, you know, sales is hard because a lot of the, the talk was about how to, how to think differently, how to grow your pipeline, how to engage new clients. So, you know, me starting out, you know, trying to sell the data, you know, I'm in sales, whether I like it or not, I'm in sales. And it's just about, you know, not getting beat up, not getting discouraged um, by rejection, and just try and you know, how do you how do you navigate those rejections and and those those rejections you get along the way in the life of sales to to grow to stand up your product. Mm. So it was just you know it was nice to get away from the keyboard, the data, and and hear how other people talk, and and to help me see things differently maybe i could say something differently having learned from them that might resonate with somebody i'm talking to to connect the dots so it was more about you know my biggest thing with sales is hard and it was a nice opportunity for people to meet me and and show them how i could help them yeah but now the next part is following up with emails hey nice to meet you can i help you connect you know the whole salesmanship thing yep so it takes both right when you're when you're launching a business I, one of my favorite uh i guess thinkers in the business and the tech space uh, naval ravikant has a saying where he's like if you can sell 
and you can build, you can accomplish about it, anything. And so that's, that's can, right. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, but you're, but you're right. The sales piece never gets easy. It's, and it's, uh, it's such a big piece of the piece of the puzzle. It is, it is. And, and with healthcare, the way healthcare is now is not about having the best product. It's about having the best relationship. Right. And, and you have to, you have to break that relationship if you want to get that sale. And so I find that the, for me, I think the best way to break that relationship is to show the data. So I'm out there throwing heat maps to, to inform and to break relationships, yep. to make people think, what the hell am I doing with my current situation when it's not the cheapest? Right. right. Well, we're getting close to our time here. Uh, uh, this has been uh, such an insightful and, and enjoyable conversation. I, I appreciate you making the time. I wanted to ask um, just two kind of two questions in closing that I, that I really like and always learn a lot from, but, um, but what book has had the greatest impact on your thinking or have you recommended the most to other people? Sure. Um, there's a book is called the three cups of tea. Okay. And, and it was written and this is a wonderful story and I could talk about this for an hour, but I'll try and be quick since we only a few minutes left. Yeah. But this guy, he was, um, an American, he went to climb the K2 mountain in Pakistan and he got, he couldn't make it to the top. And he's like, okay, guys, you keep going. I'm going to go back down. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I can't make it. So as he was descending the mountain, he got lost and he came upon this and he, he started, he was in bad shape. He was malnourished. He was you know hurt and he's lost in, in, in the Himalayan mountains. So he came across this this, this village who took him in and gave him um, gave him shelter and food to help him recover. And he was so moved by that generosity that he wanted to um, return and build schools for, for kids and especially girls because there were no schools for girls over there. And so I'm going to build schools for girls. Never did he know he was stepping over, you know, lots of traditions on, you know, with the whole women's problems over there in the, in that part of the world, but he didn't care. He, he, he was doing the right thing in his heart to, to, to build schools in this area. And he faced a lot of resistance from tribal elders on why he can't do this. And they were threatened by his overture to build schools. But what I learned and was so wonderful in this book was that his honesty broke down barriers like I don't have other intentions other than building this school to help you know make a better future for the girls, yeah. and um, so this book was about all those resistance that he encountered to doing a nice thing of building schools. But my takeaway there is that honesty breaks down barriers, and and so the and what I found what really makes me unhappy with healthcare. There's a lot of um, gamemanship in the data. You know, people will show you what they want you to see. Look at this report. Look how good we are. But they only selected the data which presents the, a nice story for them. They don't show you all the data. So you can't trust any report in healthcare because you don't know what data is under it. Um, so it, it leads to distrust and, and like you don't know who is working for you, who's against you. So um, so 
I feel that the best way for me is like, I, I'm not cherry picking the data. Here's high, here's low. I'm being honest. Here it is. And people may hate me for disrupting their narrative, but they know I'm coming from a place of honesty. So, so if you, you don't like me, you know, screw you, but you know where I'm coming from and I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to present my own data and make you look unfavorable. I'm showing high to low for people to act to it. And I'm just being honest. And I've, I, I think people resonate, it resonates with people and they, and they like that. Yeah. And I see, I see a lot of, I see why you like that book. A lot of parallels there to that story. You said, yeah, it's uh, a great book. Three, three cups, cups of tea. Okay. I'll, I'll I, it's a great read. It it's, a, it's, a wonder, it's a beautiful book. I'm going to check that out. Um, and last one here over the last 12 months, I, I stole this from another podcast. I love this, uh, love this question though. But over the past 12 months, what purchase of a hundred dollars or left less has, improved your life the most well okay i'm gonna i have to um stretch it because i made a purchase for 120 dollars. okay that's allowed yeah there's this tool that i bought this um json to csv converter okay it's 120 dollars. there is no health cost labs without this 120 dollars utility which converts json's to csv files okay if i had to code this manually I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't get done because there's so many JSON files, different formats. I can't code this up manually, but with this tool, I just click it. It takes it and it spits out a clean file every time. I'm like, oh my God, this is worth $12,000. Yes. But for only $120, it transformed my, it, it, it really helped me out. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. sounds like a great, uh, great purchase. And I, and I can tell you're a, a programmer at heart. I am <laughs> still on that. So, well, Leo, I, again, I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you making the time for it. And my uh, pleasure. If people uh, want to follow up with you on anything that you said, ask any questions or just connect with you, where's the best place for them? To uh, do LinkedIn, that? LinkedIn. Okay. You can just send me, a, uh, you know, tag me in a post or you just want to ping me. If you want to send me a private question or you want, that, that's the best way. Okay. I don't have time for Twitter or anything else. I don't do Facebook. I don't got yeah. time for anything else. LinkedIn. Well, LinkedIn. That's where, we'll, that's where we'll direct people. So, yes. All right. Well, thanks again. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right. You too. Have a great right, Bye. Thanks. Well, that does it for this episode. If you enjoyed the conversation, would love it if you tuned into future episodes, um, which you can find on our RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. I'll also be posting those episodes on my LinkedIn page and Twitter pages as well. Uh, both of those are at Nicholas Krim. But until then and next time, hope you have a great day. Thanks.